100 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from any type of pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And hurry, if you use the coupon code Happy New Year, all one word, you get $50 off of the program that has changed hundreds and hundreds of people's lives. 100 episodes. Uh, you'll have to forgive me, but I have been thinking about this episode since um, literally before I started podcasting, probably from a, will I get to 100? Will I know what I'm doing by 100? And will I have ran out of things to say by 100? And uh, I guess the answers are, would that be yes, no, maybe. Yes, yes, I got to 100. No, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. And maybe with the running out of things to say, possibly as evidenced by today's episode. But that's because I've been thinking about what to talk about on episode 100 for a long, long time. And for some reason, I wanted to be able to say uh, something like, oh yeah, episode 100. Listen to that one if you are going through whatever, whatever particular thing you're going through. Or if you're experiencing fill in the blank, then episode 100 is the one for you. Because the truth is, I know for the most part what I've talked about in previous episodes over the last year and a half and who I've interviewed, but I am not um, the one with the brain that remembers the numbers. I know a lot of people do, and uh, I know I know that my emotional baseline episode is 11 or 12, somewhere around there, and that one is now the most downloaded episode, even over uh, the wonderful, amazing Dr. Jennifer Finlayson's Fife's episode on women and sexuality, which is a very close number two. I'm not sure when it passed it, but it did. And I know that episodes 25 and 26 were my first to uh, talk about emotionally focused therapy or EFT for couples. And then the other one was the nurtured heart approach or a parenting model. And that those two have also been downloaded a whole lot. I think probably numbers three and four. But anyway, I digress. But uh, before I started, I had read somewhere that, and man, I stuck to this, that whatever I read at that time, it was it was quite a bit before I started recording my first episode. But it said to give yourself a year or 100 episodes to see if this thing, I guess, is really going to work. And um, a year and a half in, and here's episode 100. And gratefully, thankfully, the reception, again, has far surpassed anything that I've ever imagined in my entire life. So uh, here's to the next 100 episodes. But for this episode, I had two or three topics that I had been writing about, researching, outlining. And when it came down to recording this episode today... I went with something completely different, and I felt a bit impressed a day or two ago to record the topic that I'm going to record today, and sometimes I feel like you just need to follow those impressions, those promptings, whether you are a religious person or not, but if you are somewhat religious, are those promptings coming from a, a God, a God that you have a personal relationship with, who cares about you, who really wants to point you in directions that will help you in your life, and if so, and you're not following them, I can only imagine as a parent myself, um, let's just say that when I'm pretty confident that a particular at a particular moment in time that I'm pretty sure that my kids will like something or if it's going to be beneficial for them. Uh, you know, it's like if I'm saying, uh, hey, bud, trust me, go around that corner and there's a new puppy and it's rolling around in one hundred dollar bills. But I can't tell my kid that because I'll ruin the surprise. So I'm kind of prompting him or I'm nudging him and he just kind of keeps staring at his phone watching YouTube videos about Fortnite. How frustrating would that be? So with this podcast today, I'm going to hope that by the end of this, we're going to find the puppy and the $100 bills. And so, I mean, still do me a solid. Visit TonyOverbay.com and uh, I guess sign up there to, in theory, I guess, then learn more about programs that will help you find more puppies and maybe even a pony and not only $100 bills, but maybe even $200 bills as well. And if you follow Virtual Couch on Instagram 
or find the Virtual Couch YouTube channel and see some of the interviews there and uh, find me, Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook. And maybe there are ponies and puppies that are married and they have super cute babies and they might even have clues to finding $300 bills. So I've carried that metaphor out long enough. I hope you're following me. But the point is, follow those promptings. So here's what I felt impressed to tell you in episode 100, seriously. Um, I kind of wanted to create something that perhaps you can go to whenever you need a pick-me-up. And uh, and maybe it's something that you can forward to a friend if they're feeling down or if somebody else is going through something heavy or overwhelming in their life. And if you if you aren't sure what to do, I mean, you know, maybe you've told them that, you know, let me know if there's anything that I can do to help. And uh, but even with that said, you're not sure what that is that you can do to help them. And the truth is, they might kind of be feeling down enough that they aren't going to ask for help. So maybe this is something you could send them and uh, says that this helps. I don't know. So here goes. I know and see if you can see where I'm going here. This is the topic. But I I know that you have a lot on your plate. And And follow me here. This is whoever I'm talking to, whoever is listening to this right now. I know you've got a lot on your plate. You've got a lot going on. But you've got this. Uh, Seriously, whatever this is, you have got this. Um, You can do this. You're going to make it through this. You have got this. Even when you're feeling like right now that maybe you don't have this or or know what to do next, you truly, you truly have this. Because here's a few things to keep in mind. Nobody, and I'm honestly talking nobody, knows exactly what is going on in your life right now. Seriously, because how could they? Did anybody else grow up with the exact same circumstances that you did? In the same way that you did, where you feel, where, where you fell in age with your siblings or how you were raised, the successes, the setbacks, even just the things that you saw growing up or the things that you did, the things that you told people and the things that you didn't tell people because you weren't sure if you could trust anybody with the secrets that you held deep inside of you or those times that you did open up to somebody, whether it was to maybe your mom or your dad or your siblings or friends or a teacher. And maybe even they told you, hey, don't worry about it. Or that they knew that uh, what you were going through, that maybe they've told you that I've been here before, and they might have told you a story that clearly to you only proved that maybe they didn't know exactly what you were going through. And I want you to know, I mean that I understand they mean well, and they were or they are doing the best that they could do. I totally get that. But sometimes when we open up to somebody, um, that story from their past isn't quite what you need. You need somebody to listen to you and to tell you that you are going to be all right because you are. And sometimes when somebody says that they know what you're going through or even worse, sometimes they say, hey, it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Or unfortunately, sometimes when we open up to some people, they tell us, look, you need to get over this. Like you can't keep talking about this thing. Uh, They have zero idea what they just said to you. It's almost like they're saying, uh, hey, champ. Your feelings aren't really important right now. And quite frankly, I've got some TV to watch or I need to get back to a game on my phone. So don't even really worry about it. Uh, don't worry about your problems because honestly, and this is what happens a lot of times that people do. Um, it's a it's a nice game of one-upsmanship. Perhaps they even say, hey, I know what you're going through. Or do you want, you want to know what problems are? Let me tell you what my problems are. You have no idea what your problems are actually like. And unfortunately, we get in a pattern of doing that a lot of times. And that's what stops us from opening up to people at times. And so, and when we feel like we can't, that leaves us feeling somewhat alone. And when we feel alone, then that is a lot of times where we feel like we don't know what to do next, or maybe that we don't have this, but, but you do. Uh, when people say, you know, you have no idea what my problems are like, it's exactly uh, just like they honestly don't have any idea or zero idea of what your problems are like, the things that you're going through. And so when they're telling you to get over it or that it's no big deal or they've been there before or worse yet, when you hear any of those dreaded, you know, um, 
well, I don't, what do you want me to do about it? Those kind of statements. I don't know if you've had a friend or a parent or a spouse or somebody that said that or any of those completely non-empathetic statements. Um, although, again, I want you to know sometimes those are coming from a good place. When someone is feeling overwhelmed or flooded and they're just they're just out of control, just kind of this emotional vomiting at the mouth. I've been that person before who's who's tried to be empathetic or comforting. And I've even said, you know, help me. Help me understand what I can do. What, what would you like for me to do about it? I'm talking about that as a, a good version. I'm talking about the one that I hear often in my office where people say, hey, I don't know what you want me to do about it. You know, that kind of thing. So which kind of leads to this concept of empathy. And uh, and a lot of episode 100, if you can tell, is I'm going to I'm going to put a lot of these things in place that I've talked about in the past. But I want them in one one place. Um, to help people kind of work through some of the struggles they have. So let's talk for a second about empathy. Does anybody truly understand what empathy is? And I'm not talking about sympathy. Remember, sympathy is a, man, that really stinks. That's too bad. And uh, are you eating the rest of those fries? I mean, it's like I'm talking about the, oh, man, I, I had no idea that that's what you're going through. Or, or tell me more about what that's like for you. Tell me all the feelings that you are feeling right now. And even more importantly, where do those come from? What was that like growing up? Have you been in this situation before? Or what are the memories that come up for you around this situation? And I'm seriously just so sorry that you are going through this. I mean, I'm sure no one wants to go through what you're going through right now, but I'm here for you. I will sit here with you. We can watch something on uh, on our computers together, on TV together. We don't have to talk or we can talk. We can just go for a walk. We can read out loud together. We can tell jokes. We can pet your dog, anything, you name it. But I just want you to know I'm glad you told me and I want to help. So help me understand what this is like for you before I try and fix it. And my bad, sorry, you might not even be wanting advice. And I know that's usually my default, but let me honestly hear where you're coming from before I just start telling you stories about something that I guess I think is similar. But the more I'm listening to you, the more I realize that, yeah, that's kind of presumptuous for me to take my experiences and say, I understand because I had actually a pretty non-similar experience two decades ago. So yes, um, how about you just tell me more so I can try and understand. And then if you want my thoughts, I'll share them, but I'm going to throw them out there with a heads up that I don't honestly know what this must be like for you there. That was a, uh, a script on empathy. I don't know if I got too caught up there in the moment. Um, I am the, one of the world's worst actors. Look at me fusing to that thought. Uh, but that, but that was kind of that concept of, do we really understand what empathy is? Um, if you don't know what empathy is, if you've been accused of not being very empathetic, uh, I hope that you'll go back and listen to that last paragraph. And, and I'm trying to model some empathy there. But now, back to what I'm telling you, seriously, you, the person listening, you have this. You got this. I know you do. And here's something that can help. It's something that I learned a while ago uh, and I use now every day in therapy. It's a little thing called acceptance and commitment therapy. Or you can use the acronym ACT. And, um, and I mentioned that I have ADD on my podcast before, right? So let me take you on a little tangent. There is a fantastic podcast called Invisibilia. It's on season three or four now, but if you go to season one and, uh, I believe literally it's episode one, they lay out the history of talk therapy. And just so you know, there's this type of therapy that Sigmund Freud laid out that kind of got us all talking about talk therapy long, long ago. And it's called psychodynamic therapy. And where at that moment, back in the day when Freud started to explore thoughts and, and, and you started doing this talk therapy, you kind of believed that every thought meant something. And you tried to trace them all back to a beginning or an origin to have meaning. And there are still people that practice psychodynamic therapy today and more power to them. If it helps people, it helps people, which is a wonderful thing. But then a psychiatrist named Aaron Beck comes along in the 60s and developed a type of, of psychotherapy called cognitive therapy. And cognitive therapy is one of these therapeutic approaches kind of within this larger group called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapies. 
The behavioral part is coming from one of the fathers of behavioral psychology, a guy named B.F. Skinner. There's a nice read if you go look up uh, B.F. Skinner. But cognitive therapy is based on this cognitive model, which states that thoughts and feelings and behaviors are all connected and that individuals can move toward overcoming difficulties and meeting their goals by identifying, identifying and changing unhelpful or inaccurate thinking or problematic behavior or distressing emotional responses. And so cognitive behavioral therapy involves an, an individual working with a therapist to develop skills for testing and modifying beliefs or picking up identified uh, automatic negative thoughts, distorted thinking, the way that people relate to others in different ways, and then changing behaviors. And so, sorry, we're going to nerd out just a tiny bit more. This is going to be important, I promise you. This next bit of data comes from the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science. Yes, they have a website. I will link this to uh, my um, show notes. And I guess we know what uh, this weekend's date night is going to consist of, right? Pouring over this data. Am I right? Um, this is the time where I wish I had a laugh track, I think. So uh, cognitive behavior therapy. So modern cognitive behavioral therapy takes both the cognitive and behavioral techniques. Uh, it's, and, and, and it has become a very well-known mainstream approach to therapy, partly because it has by far the strongest research support and its effectiveness in treating a, a bunch of emotional and behavioral problems. It's been found effective in treating depression and anxiety and effects of trauma and substance abuse and addiction and complications related to medical conditions and many other conditions. But here comes the new kid on the block, acceptance and commitment therapy, aka ACT, just like the word ACT. Um, ACT is now approaching its 30th anniversary. How about that for a new kid on the block since its inception? It is an innovative form of behavioral and cognitive therapy that is built upon the strengths and the weaknesses of traditional CBT. ACT is based on a behavioral account of human language. Stick with me here. We're going to get to the good stuff, I promise. Um, matter of fact, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to read the next part uh, because it's some very, very geeked out, boring stuff called relational frame theory, theory uh, which has filled in the holes left by Dr. Skinner's theories. So, uh, And this is B.F. Skinner, not Dr. Kevin Skinner, who I've mentioned on my Levels of Intimacy podcast and I can't wait to have on my podcast. But the fruit of this progress has been found in the basic concepts underlying ACT. ACT has moved away from the traditional CBT or the emphasis on changing or correcting one's thoughts in order to alleviate suffering. Instead, ACT, what we're going to talk about here, and I'm going to make it very, very easy to understand, ACT alters the functions of what they call our private experiences, our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, all those things that, that only you understand because they all have occurred to you in the context that, that only they could occur to you based on where you're at in, the, in life right now, the things that you've experienced. But, but it's, it's the way that we alter the, our functions of these private experiences. So said in another way, ACT aims to change our relationship with these private events, these thoughts, um, these feelings, these emotions, so we can become free from their grip and free from, even more importantly, the patterns that bind us and prevent us from living a more of a flexible, more of a meaningful, enjoyable life. So, so here, so how's that for a tangent? Anyway, where were we? You got this, right? Act, acceptance and commitment therapy. Here is what is cool. You feel the way that you do because of the situation that you're in, the situation that you've got, by the way, and, and you feel this way because you're a human being. If you didn't, Feel the way that you do based on all the what's called your private experiences, all the things that have brought you to this moment right now. What I say to clients all the time is that if you didn't feel this way, if this, if you weren't this frustrated or this angry or, or at times hopeless, or if you weren't sure what to do next, then you wouldn't be human. You would be a robot because it is perfectly okay to have these feelings or these thoughts. And trust me, we all have them. Um, unless we kind of go back to that robot example, and I'm sure in the not too distant future, uh, I guess I just dated my podcast because at some day, some point down the line, a robot will be listening and they're going to turn to their robot mom and or dad and say, wait, my feelings aren't real. 
and the future robot person. Yes, they're real. I just don't know much about that right now, but I'm sure I've got a podcast for that in the future. But anyway, back to the point. Everybody has problems. I had a client sitting on my couch last week who had never been to therapy. Yes, a rookie. And I was so grateful to be there for their journey into this kind of world of self-discovery, of opening up. But this person said, I know a lot of people have problems, to which I said, um, first, I validated and empathized. I didn't just jump in and fix, although I wanted to with this particular statement. Everybody has problems. Trust me, it's what they do with them that's important. Do they keep stuffing them down or they do they pretend that nothing's wrong or that their problems can't be fixed or even dealt with? Or do they finally hit a point where they just don't want to feel like that they're always doing something wrong or that they're alone or they just don't know what to do? There's actually a reason you feel stuck. Your brain thinks that it's doing you a favor because it's going to keep you right where you are right now. See, your brain knows what feeling stuck feels like. Isn't that wild? might not be ideal, but at the very least, it knows that you're going to wake up in the morning and you're probably going to feed it and it might actually get to watch some YouTube or Netflix and play some Tune Blast, but at the very least, um, you're not going to do something super uncomfortable, like try and change things in your marriage or have you open up to somebody that you uh, don't know what to do with your rebellious teen, you know, or that you're tired of feeling like you you're always tired, you know, or your brain knows just what it needs to, to make it through the day. It knows what that feels like right now, but it feels like it can't trust you if you're going to go and try and stop eating foods that you really like, or if you're going to try and cart it off to a gym or go on a walk. As a matter of fact, it's really good at telling you all the reasons that you can't do those things. And so let's take a look at any of those scenarios. So your marriage, if things aren't going well, if you're not happy, and if you decide I am tired of this, I'm going to go talk to a therapist. So the way the brain works is it might even shoot out a little bit of a little squirt of dopamine, this feel-good chemical right up to the pleasure center of the brain, because all of a sudden it's like, I'm doing this. I'm doing it. I'm going to take action, and I'm going to improve my marriage. But now watch what your brain does. Now you now sit back and watch. What are the stories that your brain starts to tell you? It starts to tell you, well, you know what? Uh, my husband might actually get angry if I do that. Um, I don't even know if we have the time. We don't have a sitter. Uh, I don't know if therapists even work late. I don't even know who a good therapist is. I, I don't want anybody to see me in the waiting room. Your brain goes into overdrive to, to keep you right where you are. Or if you think about it, if I'm going to start going to the gym, now look back. What are the stories your brain tells you? You know, it'll tell you, I don't like going to the gym. The gym's smelly. There's not a gym close by. We don't, we can't afford going to the gym. What do I do with the kids? And so we're going to fuse. If we fuse to any of those thoughts, then guess what we don't have to do? Don't have to go to the gym. Don't have to find that marriage therapist. Or if I'm going to start eating better, there's one story in my life, then, you know, I've heard all of these. Well, it takes a lot of work for food prep or, uh, uh, the good food is more expensive or, you know, I just don't have the time or so our brain goes into this. They, they call it reason giving and act reason giving to, to kind of keep us stuck where we are. So if you believe any of those stories, then you're off the hook. Then you don't have to talk to your husband. You don't have to go to the gym and you definitely don't have to start eating better. So let me just try and break down what's happening in your brain. And then let's bring it back to how you are going to do this, how you're going to be okay. What I want to do is I want to walk you through six principles of acceptance and commitment therapy of ACT. And I want you to be able to come back to this episode whenever you need a little help, a little pick-me-up, a little boost. And I'm going to pull all of my info for these six principles from a website called the Australian Institute of Professional Counselors. So I want you to listen to all this as if I were telling you this from with an Australian accent that I won't even try to pull off. But this article will be linked in the show notes of the episode. All right. Step one, cognitive diffusion. The first principle of ACT is called cognitive diffusion. And, and what this is about is learning to see your thoughts and your memories and the images in your brain is just that. Nothing more than just bits of language and images. Not what they often appear to be, like big, threatening, scary events or absolute facts or rules that have to be followed. And you'll find great examples. Uh, one I had in graduate school, my professor was describing a lemon in such great detail that when I pictured it in my mind, 
And then he said that now all of a sudden we're biting into it. And obviously we weren't. We didn't have lemons in front of us, but my mouth salivated and I felt all soury. I don't know if that's even a word. But in that moment, my mind was in a state of what is called cognitive fusion. My mind bought into my thoughts as a reality. My thoughts were the truth. My thoughts were incredibly important. They were orders. It was if they were wise. But my brain was just going to town with those images and thoughts of the lemon. My mind was fused. So think about that. How often do you fuse to your thoughts? Back to those stories. If we fuse to the, I can't find a good therapist. I don't even know where to start. If you fuse to that, if that's a fact, if that's like that soury flavor of the lemon, then what do you have to do? You know, if you're buying into that, then you, you're not going to go try to find a therapist. So what do we learn when we diffuse from our thoughts? That's our goal. We're looking for diffusion. Uh, with perspective, we can learn that when we diffuse from our thoughts, we see them more just again as bits of language passing through. We get a whole bunch of thoughts. And so why are we choosing to fuse to the ones that we do? It's because our brain is trying to kind of keep us right where we are, keep us stuck. So what do we do? Step two of act of acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, or principle two, expansion or acceptance. This is the practice of making room for the unpleasant feelings or sensations or urges instead of trying to suppress them or push them away. Because um, we know that that practice of trying to suppress our thoughts or push away our thoughts usually bring us right back to making us feel bad for even having them or feeling broken because they come back. I did a podcast long, long ago. Uh, talking about those darned unwanted thoughts. There's a really fascinating thing called unwanted thought syndrome. And the three tenets of an unwanted thought syndrome are, first of all, we all have these unwanted thoughts, these irrational thoughts, these inappropriate thoughts, these scary thoughts, these violent thoughts. We have them. Because again, that's just the perfect example. That's just what our brain does. But the second tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome is just because we have those thoughts doesn't mean that that's what we're that that's who we are. That's what we're going to do. Uh, if you're sitting there at a table when you've got a, a steak knife in your hand and you've thought, man, you know, if I just jam this into the person beside me, I uh, know sounds horrific, right? But if if I mean, I was going to say, who hasn't had those thoughts? And if there's people going, hey, Tony, I really haven't. But I've, you know, I've I've talked to enough people that they have those. Or if you're driving on the road and you think about what would happen if I just ran my you know car off this way, or the one that I always go back to is when I am up on a high building or even four or five floors up at a Embassy Suites hotel and I'm overlooking the atrium at those giant koi fish that kind of give me the creeps, especially the ones with like the bubble head. Um, I think, man, I could totally jump right now. And then my legs get a weird feeling. But have I ever done it? Nope, haven't done it. And so we all have those thoughts just because we have them doesn't mean that we're crazy. But the third part of inappropriate thought syndrome is thought suppression does not work. It's the old don't think about a white polar bear right now. And I just did. So unless you're talking to like a 10 to 12 year old boy who says I didn't think about one. Um, that's the way our brain works. So expansion or acceptance, making room for these thoughts in your brain and then just accept them. Um, you know, it's like these thoughts that I always think about, I, you know, I'm, I'm a very visual person and, and a visual learner. The, my brain's a stage, my mind's a stage, that sort of thing. So I think about these thoughts are walking around or checking things out in your brain. The truth is, if you kind of just give them that little head nod, like, Hey, Hey, what's up? Uh, Hey, inappropriate or bad thought. You know, I, I see you. No, no, I'm good. I don't want to play a game of tug of war or anything like that right now. No, seriously. You know, if, uh, if you find yourself in a game of tug of war um, with with these thoughts of like, man, what's wrong with me or going back and forth with them, uh, acceptance, as I mentioned on an episode a few months ago, and this came from a TED talk that I can't pull for who, who was uh, who gave the TED talk. But I loved when they said is that when you realize that you're in a tug of war with a thought in your brain, just drop the rope. Uh, that thought will get bored. I even thought about this. He'll try and trip you with the rope. He'll be that annoying guy that's kind of like shoving the rope over at you, trying to tickle you with the rope, maybe hitting you with the rope, annoying you with the rope. But don't pick the rope up. Just keep that rope uh, there on the ground. 
So acceptance, and what I love about it, gets pretty proactive, too. In the article that I linked to, they give an example of somebody with social anxiety who gets a lump in their throat when they go on a date. Now, they're telling themselves all of these stories of, I don't know what to say, and uh, and that sort of thing. But, you know, no worries. You don't freak out about it. Um, you feel it. You think about it. You observe it as if you were a scientist who has never before seen the this lump in the throat, the shape, the weight, the temperature of it. And then you kind of breathe into it. With empathy, of course, we know that you don't want to feel that way. But uh, just take a look at it. Make room for it. Make room for those uncomfortable feelings. I think a lot of times when people even say, hey, you just got to accept those feelings. What does that even mean? And what it means is just step back and make make room for them. Because here's what comes up next. Principle number three of acceptance and commitment therapy is connection with the present moment. Here's where things get really good. Instead of dwelling on the past that got you here or the future that uh, what might happen, get connected with the here and now. Be fully engaged in what you're doing. Russ Harris, one of the fathers of acceptance and commitment therapy, um, an author of The Confidence Gap and The Happiness Trap, two of my very favorite books of all time, seriously, points to three reasons why this connection with the present moment is such a big deal. Number one, this is the only life we've got. And I love how he says, even for those who believe in such concepts as reincarnation, this is the only life that we're aware of living right now or tend to have information about. So why not make the most of it? To be only half present is to miss half of it. And uh, I love this. Um, I think that if uh, teenagers listen to this, they won't really understand this concept that he says. He says, lack of present moment contact is akin to listening to a favorite piece of music with earplugs in the ears um, or eating a favorite food when the mouth is still numb from a visit to the dentist. We miss the richness that there could be. But that one with the uh, the earplugs in the ears. I mean, it's, uh, you know, um, what teenager isn't going around with their ear earbuds in all the time. But uh, what Russ Harris is talking about is if you have this muffled, these earplugs in, um, then uh, you're just not, you're not getting the full uh, measure of this uh, amazing music that you're listening to. And I love that one about eating food when the mouth is still numb from a visit to the dentist. That's what not being present is like. Uh, and number two, he talks about right now is the only time that we have power. Given that a foundation of act is being committed to appropriate values guided actions, and we're going to get to that in a second, the values piece, we can remind clients that to create a meaningful life, we have to take action. And the power to act exists only in the present moment. There's a saying I love that he said that says, one cannot mount a camel which has not yet arrived, which means the future, nor one which, which has already departed, which means the, fa- the, the past. Um, you got to mount that camel that's right here, right now. And the third thing that he talks about in connecting to the present moment is taking action means effective action, not just any old action. Effective action and acceptance and commitment therapy is defined as what helps us move in a value direction. To find out which way um, lies that direction, we have to be psychologically present and we have to be aware of what's happening, how we're reacting, and therefore how it is right for us to respond. And Harris advocates a, a mnemonic for ACT that he uh, says the A, accept your internal experience and be present. Um, C, choose a value direction and T, take action. So there's act. Accept your internal experience to be present, choose a value direction and take action. And I, I love it too. To practice skills like these, you don't even, in this uh, example we gave earlier, you don't, ex- you don't have to go on an actual date and, and the person fearing social ineptitude or even have another person around. You can ground yourselves in the present moment. This is where a mindfulness practice comes in. Whenever or wherever we like, simply by tuning in an ACT therapist, for example, might ask a client to notice every aspect of their experience of taking a shower. The feel of the water as it hits the skin, as it runs down the body, the sight of the steam rising in the bathroom, or the scent of the soaps or other products applied to the body in the process of showering or after shower care. Or a person could practice the present moment connection and observing the minute details of, di- of washing dishes, uh, the sounds of the plates, um, the feeling of soapy water washing over them. Anything can become this mindfulness, get connected to the present exercise. Even easier, and I love this one. I've had a couple of colleagues go to some uh, some mindfulness retreats lately. Um, an ACT counselor can give somebody a single piece of food 
this one, the example that Russ Harris gives a dried fig, but I've had somebody deal, do this with a peach now and somebody do this with a blueberry and ask the person to focus on nothing else but the eating of it. And we're talking 20 minutes to eat a blueberry, which uh, sounds crazy, but then people, the people that have gone through this experience just say there is nothing like being that present um, if you can have somebody kind of help you along that process. But the client can be just instructed that distracting thoughts and feelings might arise, but they can be allowed to come and go as they will. The client's attention will remain focused on the fruit. And so when you graduate to these interpersonal situations, the client um, might be encouraged to have a conversation with another person and focus totally on what that person is saying rather than their own thoughts and feelings. One of the best examples of learning how to listen is to really just to be able to be present and focus on what's being said, not what you're going to say next. And that is bringing us to principle number four of acceptance and commitment therapy, the observing self. Starting to sound a little bit deep, but this one's good too. To understand the principle of the observing self is to comprehend that um, we, when we become aware of our thoughts, there are two processes going on. And I love this one so much. There's two processes. One is thinking, you know, we're thinking. And the second one though, is observing the thinking. This is where we go. Oh, I see what I see the story. My brain's trying to tell me or well done brain, you know, that, that kind of thing. Those are the thoughts that I've always drawn to. So, um, thinking and observing your own thinking, we can draw a client's attention again and again, if necessary to the distinction between the thoughts that come up and then the person, the client that's observing them. So from an observing self standpoint, uh, none of the experiences that are going on, you know, none of these thoughts or feelings or images or urges are dangerous or controlling because you're just observing. You're kind of going, oh, I see what's going on here. And, and that's where you go back to that. I, okay, here's the stories my brain's trying to tell me, trying to get me to fuse to these thoughts. So stay, you know, when we stated earlier that these six principles of ACT, um, they're going to work together to help create this meaningful life. So the present moment connection really happens with this observing self. It involves bringing our full attention to what's happening here and now without getting distracted or influenced by the thinking self. So the observing self is, this is, and, and follow, stay with me here. The observing self is just non-judgmental by nature because judgments are thoughts, remember? And we're just observing the thoughts. So therefore, um, the, these judgments or the, the thoughts that are judgmental are just a product of the thinking self. It's just the thinking that's going on in the brain. The observing self doesn't really get into struggles with reality. Uh, it kind of steps back and it sees things as they are without resisting them. Remember, it's only when we judge things as bad or unfair or mean that then we resist them. So it's that thinking self, which is the part that tells us life shouldn't be the way it is. Um, life shouldn't be unfair. We would be happier if we were doing something else or somewhere else or if we had more money or better body or more hair or any of those kind of things. That's the thinking self. So it's our thinking self that kind of puts this veil of illusion between ourselves and life, disconnecting us from the reality. Um, and, and how does it disconnect us from reality? Through boredom or distraction or addiction or resistance. So the observing self, and this is so cool, is incapable of boredom or resistance. The, the observing self greets everything, every stimulus, every experience with curiosity, with interest, with openness, kind of just when you see, look at how you can separate this. When you recognize I'm, I'm having these thoughts, the observing self steps in and says, I got it. I got it. Uh, all right. What's going on here? What are, what are the thoughts that we're thinking? Oh, we're telling ourselves that uh, life um, is supposed to be fair story. Or we're telling ourselves the, I would be happier if I had a, a sweet new car story. And so the observing self gets to, to, gets to kind of step back and, uh, and understand that this is why we're having these thoughts. So they're kind of seen in a new light. Which brings us to principle number five, clarifying your values. This is a big part of ACT. 
Um, it's about clarifying what's most important to the deepest part of ourselves that we can access. What's most important uh, about the person that you want to be, what's meaningful to you, what you stand for in this life. So your values provide the direction for your life. They motivate you to make significant changes. This is where I, I can get really kind of geeky on this stuff too. Uh, one of the things that I see as a therapist is typically we don't even really know what our core values are. We've been told what our values should be growing up. Um, we've been told what our values should be by our parents or even we're kind of assume what our values should be maybe by uh, our in, at school or our faith community or even what our spouse tells us. And so there's a huge uh, disconnect there to what is really important to us versus what we think that is supposed to be important to us. And I've said this on other podcasts as well, but if you've got a goal, or I even did this with the New Year's resolutions, and it's not based on your individual values that are important to you because of all of your private experiences that you bring to the table right now, then those just become rules. And when when something becomes a rule, then uh, it doesn't necessarily feel as connected to you. And then that's when people then start to be able to tell us the what's wrong with me story. I can't even keep this rule. Well, it's not based on your value. Um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So an, an act-oriented counselor might uh, might kind of ask the client to complete some sort of life values questionnaire. And I love doing this, which acts a respondent to reflect on their values um, and uh, and only theirs. It's, it's something that needs to be done one-on-one because you can even have your partner, you know, all, almost all the values sound great. And so when you're saying to your partner that, uh, you know, a particular value is not important to you, but but they feel like it's important to them. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll give you a, kind of a really easy example. One of the values that uh, one that comes to mind is uh, one of these values of adventure. And I've uh, got a client that, you know, he was he was grew up just being adventurous, but now he's you know he's uh, in a really busy career, has little kids, um, and just doesn't feel like he can really be adventurous. And so he just feels more of this kind of a cooped up feeling. And uh, so when he's not being true to those values, then he doesn't feel connected, doesn't feel connected with his career or his spouse or his kids. or uh, And so then it's a little bit easier to detach because he's having these, you know, what's wrong with me story. And the, and the what's wrong with me story is tied into the him not, not being able to kind of work toward his values of wanting to be more adventurous in life in general. So uh, another thing that's always kind of nice to clarify values versus goals some people aren't clear on the difference between values and goals. Russ Harris explains that goals are kind of more of a one-shot deal, where values are so because they are consistently in our lives as something we hold dear. He uses an analogy of somebody going on a journey, saying that they're going to keep heading west. So that consistent direction is analogous to a value, because no matter how far the person may travel, there's always west. You know, you can always continue to go in a westerly direction. Um, if somebody's going to ascend the peak of a particular mountain along the way, that's a goal because once they climb to the top of that mountain, they've achieved the goal. It's a done deal. Uh, once we know what a value is, then we can kind of derive more meaningful goals in order to live by our values. So, and, and then again, it goes back to what are your real values? And that needs to be something that you do intentionally to figure those out. And the last principle of act, and then we're going to get, we're going to wrap this up. We're getting back to you've got this. You can do this. I hope you're kind of understanding now in the grand scheme of things. Where, where your hesitation around moving forward might even come from or, or why you feel the way that you do. Principle number six of acceptance and commitment therapy is committed action. Uh, at this last principle, the person has, has set goals. They've taken action, but not just any action. Here, the person understands that a rich and meaningful life that they desire is created by taking effective action. And that is guided by your chosen values and kind of putting distance between these, uh, you know, defusing from these thoughts that kind of keep us stuck. So will followers have a perfect record in, in pursuing the goals that they've set? Of course not. But no matter how many times someone may go, quote, off the rails or even start going down the track, 
That's where their values are there to provide this inspiration or motivation for re-engaging in the action. If you're feeling stuck right now, like you don't have this, I hope you kind of feel some hope that we can step back and and let's just take a look at those uh, private experiences, all the stuff that's kind of led you to where you are today. And then what are those stories your brain's telling you? What is your brain trying to get you to fuse to and uh, in order to kind of keep you stuck? Because you're most likely not moving in the in the direction of those values that are important to you. So goals are there to remind the person of the actions that will help him or her arrive at this visualized life, this this purpose-driven, exciting life. And the final analysis is up to each person to supply the will and energy to take the action. Um, In this article, it talks about, it says, we can find an analogy in the would-be traveler who really, really wants to go to Africa. And the person buys informational and tour guide books on Africa. They contact travel agents and they plan out the itinerary for the spots they want to visit. And they are sure that their life will be fabulous if they can just get to Africa But at the end of the day, they won't actually be present for any of the planned safaris or nothing at all. Nothing in their life will change unless they get out of their chair, pack their bag, and show up at the appointed day to board the plane. No amount of reading about Africa will give them the actual experience of Africa that they desire. They must ultimately supply the will and energy to go there in order to be changed by the rich and meaningful experiences of Africa. Uh, I read another example at one point. I think it was in The Confidence Gap where um, Russ Harris, the author, talked about you can read and read and you can learn everything you want to know about riding a bike. But uh, until you actually go and try to ride a bike, um, you're, you, that experience is just not going to be um, rich, meaningful. You have to take that action. So honestly, I, I hope this helps. Remember, you you can do this. You've got this. Whatever this is, um, I hope we've now defined of why you, you're feeling this and, uh, and now what you do with it. Because remember, in review... You are human and you are the only one who has all of the stuff that has gone in your life up to this moment. Again, they call them your private experiences. You're the only one that's been through the things you've been through, experienced the things that you've experienced. And so, um, again, you're the only person that knows what it feels like right now to be you. Those are your private experiences. Now, we want to get back to, with that said, cognitive diffusion. What are those stories that your brain's telling you that, that these thoughts you're having are important that, you know, your brain's trying to tell you the thoughts you're having, they're all important, they're real. And the stories that your brain's telling you about them is the truth. So let's step back and let's diffuse from that a bit. Remember that. What are the stories my brain's telling me? That's one of the, the greatest things. I do that all day long. And your stories can be layers upon layers of these stories your brain's telling you. Again, I'd love to give this example of uh, you hear somebody talk about running a marathon. Somebody says, man, I'm going to run a marathon. Brain squirts a little bit of dopamine into the feel-good center of the brain. You're like, yeah, I'm doing this. And then your brain goes into this, uh, you know, you don't even have the shoes. It's too cold. You don't have a training plan. You don't have the money. You don't have, you know, your brain just goes into here. What are all these stories your brain's trying to hook you to? Because if your brain can hook you and fuse you to those stories, then you don't have to do the work of running the marathon. So how do you get to the next step? Expansion or acceptance. Make room for those stories or those feelings. Uh, doesn't mean that we're fusing to them. Make room for them. Um, and how do we do that? Get present on your bad self. Connect with the here and now. If you need to do a nice mindfulness exercise, uh, that, that works best for most. Focus on the here and now experience. Eat the heck out of that blueberry or note everything outside of your window, but get connected. And then observe yourself, that observing self. It's, it's really a neat concept. Remember, there's two things going on. There's thinking and then there's observing the thinking. So to step back and check that out. Um, thinking and then noticing what you're thinking. Observe the relationship with your thoughts. And then let's get to those values. What's important to you? I'm talking you and I all capital U. All three letters are all in caps. Kind of yelling that. You. What's important to you? 
not what you think is supposed to be important to you or what your parents have told you is important to you or your spouse has told you important to you. What's important to you? Because again, that goes back to those private experiences of what you've been through. That's what needs to define your goals. You need to be authentic and then take action. And if and when you get off the mark, lather, rinse, and repeat, meaning step back and recognize what new story your brain's telling you. There's that darn fusion again, but we're going to just, we're going to figure this out. Then make room for it, right? Um, get present and then let's go because my goodness, you can do this. Um, I've been doing this work now for a long time. I see people do this all the time. And even when they start to make uh, progress or start to get traction, that's just another time when their brain is like, okay, you did it now, but what, you won't be able to do it again. And check out again, our brain's doing it again, that, that cognitive fusion. So you're making room for that and then get present and then let's go again because you've got this. And every time you're going to be moving closer and closer to a more authentic, purpose-filled, amazing life, a life full of puppies and ponies and $300 bills. So until next time, uh, I'm your host, Tony Overbay, and thank you so much for joining me here on episode 100 of The Virtual Couch. Here is to the next 100 episodes. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the